As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Japan Explained. One of my patrons asked me to create an episode about Japanese art. By the way, you can do that too. Just check out the support page on japanexplained.com and find what works best for you. But anyway, one of my patrons asked me to create an episode about Japanese art. And while I loved the request, I felt a bit lost. What does one consider Japanese art? Buddhist sculpture? Nihonga? Sumie? Does calligraphy count? And while, yes, all this counts as Japanese art, speaking of it, most people will not imagine any of the above. Instead, you'll think about the Great Wave, the Utamaro beauties, the plum garden from one of Van Gogh's painting, or some other ukiyo-e woodblock print. We know ukiyo-e as the masterpieces of Japanese art. But they were not supposed to become ones. During the Edo period, ukiyo-e prints were a part of popular culture, cheap everyday objects, magazines of a kind. Were they even considered art? Were they collected? Did painters become rich and famous for drawing them? I had too many questions I couldn't answer myself and realized that ukiyo-e would be a perfect topic for this episode. First of all, let's understand what ukiyo-e actually stands for. E means picture, and ukiyo is literally translated as the floating world. Now, what that is? In Buddhism, ukiyo refers to the transient and unreliable world we live in. Everything is fleeing and temporary here, and a devoted person should avoid all the temptations of this world, concentrating on lasting spiritual matters instead. And for many centuries, everybody was happy with the definition. But then the Edo period started. And the mentality of the people of Edo was drastically different from that of Buddhist monks. If all pleasures of this world are fleeing, they thought, we should enjoy them now. And speaking of Edo pleasures, we, first of all, speak of entertainment and pleasure districts. That was a new kyo. And if you are learning Japanese, you might be interested to know that the characters used to write the word change at this point. The kanji for melancholy and sadness gave its place to character meaning floating, rising to the surface. Soon the term spread to mean all urban pleasures like fashion, dining and festivals, all things fun. Ukiyo became synonymous with contemporary, fashionable and cool. Ukiyo-e 
were depictions of this world of fun and pleasure. They didn't have room for dull or mundane. And that's what they were loved for back in the days. As the fleeting pleasures they depicted, most ukiyo-e were not meant to last. They were cut and folded to decorate fans, pasted on walls and sliding doors, or carried on a trip as guidebooks. They were meant to enjoy, and after that, well, do whatever you want to do with it. And before we move any further, there is one more thing I want to address in the very beginning. All the most famous ukiyo-e are woodblock prints. And so people often think ukiyo-e and Japanese woodblock prints are two words meaning the same thing. They're not. Ukiyo-e is a genre or artistic school. Woodblock print is a medium. So while ukiyo-e prints gained more fame, there are plenty of hand-drawn ukiyo-e too. The same is true for woodblock prints. The most famous ones are ukiyo-e, but woodblock printing technology was also used for Buddhist art, books and other things. And just as ukiyo were created using different materials and methods, their prices varied greatly. The automated prints or paintings were expensive, limited editions were somewhere mid-range, and mass-produced prints were affordable for everyone, costing not much more than a bowl of soba noodles. What even considered art at this price? Good question. But since we can't time travel, scholars argue about that. Are photos or postcard illustrations art? What about photoshopped images? There is a lot of room for personal opinions. But people did consider them pretty. No arguing here. Now that we've clarified what ukiyo-e is and what it is not, let's see how it appeared, became massively popular, died out and was reborn again. In all the books about ukiyo-e, the birth of the genre was associated with a man named Iwasa Matabe. He makes techniques of Kano and Tosa schools of painting and sometimes big topics considered too low for a painter. Yet his works were created for nobility. Who else could pay for lavishly decorated hanging scrolls or folding screens covered with gold leaf? So nowadays Ibasama Tabe is no longer considered a father of ukiyo-e. But his painting style signifies the transition of art to the new era. And so he's perceived more like a granddad of Ukiyo instead. As time passed, more and more artists drew scenes of everyday life. But not the mundane, the Ukiyo. And by this time, we are somewhere in the middle of the 17th century. The city of Edo is growing rapidly, and so does the printing industry. While printing was known in Japan from much earlier days, in the late 16th, early 17th century, the growth of urban centers caused it to cater for regular people. Most city dwellers were at least somewhat literate and had disposable income, so they bought books for entertainment. Kanazoshi books were perfect for these readers. They loved short stories about contemporary life written in simple kana script with no or very little amount of kanji characters. And there were pictures too. Monochrome and printed in black ink from single woodblock, but pictures of contemporary life. It was in fact one of such books that popularized the term ukiyo, the floating world, itself. Written by Asai Roi, who was a Buddhist monk and well aware of the classic meaning of ukiyo, 
Ukiyo Monogatari tells the story of priest Ukiyobo, who reached enlightenment after a life full of pleasure-seeking. Making fun of everything serious, the book at the same time showed the appeals of city life. And people of it loved it. Going back to the pictures in these books, they were numerous, but they were perceived only as a part of the book. One man would challenge that, and he would be named the father of Ukiyoe. The name of the man is Hishikawa Moronobu. And as you see, he did not invent the genre of Ukiyoe. He wasn't the first artist to illustrate books with pictures of contemporary life either. So what exactly did he do? The first prints attributed to Moronobu were published in 1671. But they were still book illustrations. He produced plenty of them as well as hand-painted hanging scrolls and folding screens. Moronobu is one of the few Ukiyoe artists whose paintings are actually more famous than his prints. For example, Mikaeri Bijin, the beauty turning back. Funny enough, we don't really see her face, but we see that her kimono and hairstyle are super fashionable and gorgeous. By the 1680s, Moronobu became famous for his depictions of Yoshiwara Red Light District and Kabuki Theatre. And that's when he, or maybe his publisher, had the idea of selling his works one sheet at a time, instead of binding them in a book. Mass-produced black and white prints were cheap and affordable for everyone. You could buy one or a few from the same series. The art of Moronobu reached all social classes, making him the artist of the masses. It also made Ukiyoe the art of the masses, turning it into a cultural phenomenon we know today. The Prince Moronobu produced, and by produced I mean made drawings for, he didn't participate in the production of the prints themselves, but more about it later, are known as sumizuriya. Sumi is ink. Zuri comes from the verb suru, to rub or to print, and e means picture. The original drawing was transferred and carved into a single block of wood that would be then covered with ink. A sheet of paper would be placed on top of it and rubbed to evenly transfer the color. The result looks similar to a page from a coloring book. No wonder soon the prints are hand-painted by artisans to make them even more attractive. The orange, rust-colored and yellow mineral paint used for that was known as tan. And pictures colored with it became known as tan-e. The fashion took off in the 1690s and lasted for almost 30 years. As Moronobu died in 1694, he couldn't enjoy Tane much, but the newly established Tori school took the full advantage of it. The next great ukiyoe master, Tori Kiyonobu, was a son of kabuki actor and painter of theater billboards. Starting in his father's footsteps as billboard painter, he soon became famous and branched into drawing kabuki actors for prints. Reflecting the influence of poster design, Kinobu's prints portrayed the actors in a sturdy and vigorous style, often referred to as Hyotan Ashi Mimizugaki. The legs of the actors were drawn in the shape of Hyotan gourds to make an illusion of strength, and Mimizugaki, warm drawing, created a sense of dramatic chaos using lines that looked like wiggling worms. 
The style perfectly matched the spirit of Kabuki plays, making Kyonobu highly successful and set the style Tori school will use for generations. In around 1719-1720, Tan-e gives room to steel hand-painted but more colorful benie. Instead of mineral tan, artisans now used plant-based benny paint that allowed them to create all the range of greenish, reddish and yellowish colors. And while it meant more labor and higher production prices, publishers were ready to take risks, competing with each other to make their prints the most appealing to the customers. To make pictures even brighter, they sometimes added hoof glue or urushi lacquer to the black ink. That created vivid and lustrous black that perfectly complemented the red color of Benny. Such images got the name Urushie. For these developments in coloring and many other innovations, we need to thank just one man, Okumura Masanobu. The self-taught artist took all the best from Moronobu and Kiyonobu. He draws both Yoshiwara beauties and kabuki actors, tries Sumizurie and Tanye, he is also considered the creator of Benie and Urushie and the first person to use gold dust and mica powder on woodblock prints, though it is not proven. In the 1720s he decides to open his own publishing business and successfully does it. Playing with the quality and size of paper, he then proceeds to produce the first diptych and triptych prints and Hashiraya pillar prints. Masanobu never stopped experimenting with his art. He tried his hand in landscape and warrior prints, learned European perspective from Dutch paintings. It is also said he is the first, or at least one of the first people, to experiment with color printing in the early 1740s. Officially though, the first color prints were produced in 1744 by the publisher Emiya Kichiemon. At least that's what Otananpo wrote and we don't have anything to contradict him. These first attempts of printing in color are known as benizurie. In addition to the main block printed in black ink, two or three coloring blocks were added. One with red color, one with green, and occasional one with yellow. To make colors match the lines of the main image, printers needed to place the paper in exact same position on each printing block. But that's hard especially when you have to print more than 100. So, to make it easier, somebody decided to carve marks into the blocks. These marks are called kento. And while we don't know who invented them, it was a huge step in the history of Japanese printing, as well as in the history of ukiyo-e. For the next 20 years, carvers and printers improved their techniques to produce perfectly matching color prints and artists of Tori school as well as experimenter Masanobu produced many beautiful Benizuria artworks. It's a bit though that Masanobu died in 1764, as just one year later Ukiyo-e will be revolutionized. At the period Japan counted time according to the lunisolar calendar. Deciding the calendar for the coming year was complicated and very important government business, to the extent that publishers who wanted to sell calendars had to get a special license for that. But the calendars themselves were very simple. 
they just have to tell you how many days are in each month, 29 or 30. Not much to write there. And so picture calendars, egoyomi, became popular. Literally circles or rich patterns of arts would commission custom-made calendars to present to their club members or friends. As order-made products, they were pretty expensive, but also of higher quality. You could get better covers and printers and the highest quality materials like hosso paper or gold silver powder. And ukiyo-e artist Suzuki Harunobu found himself in the lucky position of having such rich friends and patrons. He produced a great number of these calendars with intricate designs and in 1765 issued prints utilizing five or more different colors. With each color in a perfect registry, his prints looked like rich silk brocades. And so they were called Nishikiya and instantly became popular, making the production of all the earlier types of colored prints completely unprofitable. This marked the beginning of the mass production of color prints. Soon, anyone could afford to buy one. Harunobu will continue to produce beautiful prints of women and children in domestic settings for five more years. In 1770, he suddenly dies, not reaching even 50 years old. The next big ukiyo artist was Kiyonaga. A member of Tori school, he was trained to produce their signature actor prints, but felt more inclined towards drawing women. And that's Bijinga, pictures of beautiful women that made him famous. While girls on Harunobu prints are usually very young and so slim it feels like there is no human body inside the kimono, Kiyonaga drew not girls but women, tall and confident like supermodels of today. In the late 1780s, Kiyonaga became the head of Tori school. So he had to stop drawing what he wanted to and come back to painting actors. As the head of the school, he was now not doing prints, but actual paintings to display at the entrance to the theater. The artist who inherited Kiyonaga's fame as the main painter of beauties was Kitagawa Utamaro. His figures became even more elongated and elegant his women were not even remotely realistic anymore, but they were just gorgeous. Otamaro was super famous. His prints were destined to sell out, and publishers didn't hesitate to use tons of mica powder or copper sprinkles to make backgrounds shine. Views on Otamaro's prints all look similar to the modern viewer, but back in the day people could read the nuances we don't notice. Clothes and hairstyles, poses and accessories could tell a lot about the character of the model. Some researchers go as far as saying Utamaro provided psychological insight into the life of Yoshiwara Pleasure Quarter. As for the looks, Utamaro, as the painters before him, captured the essence of beauty instead of the individual traits of each model. As Utamaro grew older though, his art became older too. A new generation of artists like Toyokuni started to rise in popularity, but it was hard for Tamaro to accept that he is not the most famous painter of Edo anymore. Utamaro became bitter. Spending all his time in Yoshiwara and learning about the other side of glamorous world of pleasure probably didn't help. 
In HNL4, he creates a triptych portraying Toyotomi Hideyoshi, the military lord of the late 16th century, being entertained by his concubines. The prints were not erotic, but very suggestive. Not long before that, the censorship was tightened to include a ban on the depiction of warriors who lived later than 1573. Utamaro and his publisher knew about that. But the people of Fedor loved forbidden fruits. Erotic art was also prohibited, but the same Utamaro created plenty of it. So it was not the first time Utamaro broke the rules. But he was really famous, so they usually let it slide. This time he went a bit too far. And now the government wanted to set an example. Even the most prominent artists should follow the rules. Utamaro was arrested and punished by spending a month in handcuffs. Not the comfy modern type, but the Edo period ones. Meaning his hands were cuffed too close together to allow him to do anything on his own. Needing help for the simplest of tasks was humiliating. His spirit was broken and, after the punishment, Utamaro slowly withered until he died in 1806. But while Kiyonaga and Otamaro were drawing beauties, a lot was happening in the world of actor prints too. For example, Tori school's role of portraying actors slowly went to Kasukawa school. They used a great sales strategy for their multi-part prints. Paintings of all actors were done separately, but in a way that prints from the same play could be put together. You could just get one or the full collection. And then mysterious man appeared. His name, well, his artistic name, was Toshusai Sharako. He suddenly appeared in May 1794, produced more than 140 prints and disappeared without a trace just a month later. Even today we are still not sure who he was. People of Edo had no clue either, but they loved some good mystery. Sharako's prints, on the other hand, not so much. His first series, 28 close-up portraits, so-called big hats, of famous actors made on shiny dark mica backgrounds caused a lot of controversies. On one hand, they were very different. But on the other, actors and their fans were used to the flattering images. And Sharako's portraits were nothing of a kind. If something, they were caricatures. Though, I would expect serious drawing from a guy whose name means drawing for fun. Anyway, the portraits were sold out. Sharako will publish three more big series and then disappear. And who knows, maybe he was gone way earlier, as his last two series looked drastically different from the first two. Created by the real Sharako or someone else, his art was not really missed. But as I said, people of Edo loved some good mystery. So rumors spread that he was murdered by an enraged kabuki actor, or that he was a no-drama actor who actually hated kabuki and drew kabuki actors to make fun of them. A century later discovered by Western collectors, though, Sharaku raised to fame. Together with Rembrandt and Velasquez, he was even called one of the three greatest portrait painters in the world. Slowly, the minds of Japanese art critics and historians changed too. Sharako was accepted as an important ukiyo-e artist who inspired the next generation of painters. Now I want to stop for a moment to remind you that making ukiyo-e was a teamwork. 
We mainly know the names of artists who provided their designs for the prints. But in the background, an army of carvers and printers was turning these designs into objects. And then there was a publisher, whose job was to oversee the full process and look for new talents. For example, there would be no Tamaro and no Sharaku, if not for publisher Tsutaya Juzaburo, who found them and invested in their talent. Unfortunately, though, Tsutaya died just two years after the disappearance of Sharaku, without revealing his identity to anyone. With the leave of Sharaku, Tsutaya and Utamaro, the era of classic ukiyo-e comes to a close. Conveniently, just as the century changes from 18th to 19th. In the 19th century, artists will continue to draw beautiful women, kabuki actors and sumo wrestlers. Ukiyo-e prints will continue to be fashion magazines and advertisement brochures, celebrity Instagram posts and travel souvenirs, guidebooks and craft supplies for people. But a new wave of artists will put their attention into a new genre, landscape. New colors will come to Japan from the West. And soon Ukiyo-e will travel abroad too. So join me again next time and you'll learn why landscape became the main genre of Ukiyo-e, how Western art and Ukiyo-e changed each other and what made Ukiyo-e disappear in the 20th century. But don't worry, it was revived. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification as soon as the new episode is ready and consider supporting Japan Explained by writing a review or making a donation. All the links are now conveniently available on japanexplained.com. Talk to you soon. Bye. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.